0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts of three interviews all focused on cybersecurity. First, we hear from Rob Karras, the Deputy Director for Vulnerability Management at the Homeland Security Department's Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, about the new President's Cup cybersecurity competition. Rob, well, first of all, again, thanks for the time. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, the President's Cup competition launched on Monday, September 16th. Talk a little bit about what it is and, and how does it work?
0: The President's Cup cybersecurity competition is a competition uh, aimed at identifying and recognizing uh, the best cybersecurity talent in the uh, federal workforce. So this is federal civilian uh, workers as well as uh, DOD and and military workers.
1: You're looking at recognizing the best cyber talent. So how is it going to work? Walk me through the competition itself. Is it just, hey, send in your CV and, and we'll judge you or what?
0: What we're doing is we're breaking this competition into three different rounds. And for every round is going to be cha- more, more challenging. But what we're aiming to do is See who has the, the best skills across the uh, entire NICE framework. So uh, the first, first round is going to be basically like a, a Jeopardy-style uh, competition. So there'll be a competition for teams, and there'll be a competition for individuals. Uh, and an individual can be on a team. So individuals can compete in, in two competitions. And when I say it's a, it's a Jeopardy-style competition, the, when, when the competitors log in, they're going to be presented with a uh, Jeopardy-style looking uh, board. So there'll be five categories and, and different values of questions, questions for 100 points, 200 points, 300 points, et cetera. Um, but when they, when they click on that question, they're going to be uh, produced um, or provided a uh, virtual environment. So they'll be given a, a virtual computer. Window and then they're going to have to solve a computer problem. So it might be a, uh, a forensics question, it might be an incident response question, or it might be a question that says, "How do I exploit and, and break into the to the system?" So it, depending on on the five categories that the uh, team or the individual asked, they'll be presented with this challenge. So it's not going to be a, a yes, no, or just a fill in the blank question. There's, it's going to be interactive and they're going to have to uh, dig dig around and and work through and, and solve solve a problem. So they'll go through the first round and um, everybody's able to compete for the first round. And then we're going to have pick the top teams that go to the second round. So for the individuals, it's going to be the the, the top 100 individuals will qualify for the second round. For the teams competition, we're going to take uh, one team from from each agency that registers, and then we're going to take the top 15% teams after that. So they'll qualify for round two. And round two is going to be more of the same. It's going to be a Jeopardy style competition. Um, And actually, let me say that this is all going to be done remote. So the individuals and the teams can compete from uh, anywhere. It's going to be hosted uh, up in the cloud. So the second round will be the same style format, but it will be harder harder questions and, and more detailed questions. And what we're going to do from there is we're going to take the top five teams. They're going to qualify for the final round. And we're going to take the top, I think, ten individuals, and they're going to qualify for for the finals. And we're going to bring them here to Arlington in, in, at our space uh, at, at CISA and they're going to go through the final competition. In the final competition, we're going to switch it up a little bit. It's not going to be a, a Jeopardy-style board. They're going to actually be given a uh, an escape room challenge. So each team will be put into an escape room, and they'll have various challenges that they're going to be presented with, uh, cryptological challenges, uh, uh, incident response, forensics challenges, whatever it is, I, I don't want to give too much away prior to the competition, but it's going to be all based on the, the NICE framework and, and tied back to that. And they'll have to uh, escape out of, out of the room. So one of the concepts that, that we're looking at and that we're building right now is a simulation of, of a nuclear facility. And the team's put into a, into a nuclear facility and then something's mal, malfunctioning and they have to figure out what's happening and then diagnose that and uh, work their way out of that and, and calm down the situation. That's part one of the final competition, and then part two is we're going to have a uh, capture the flag competition. So the teams are going to compete against each other. So they'll be uh, actually uh, attacking the other teams and defending against the other teams. So there'll be basically uh, different computers on, on, on the network where... You think there's there's virtual flags and and team one would capture a virtual flag and they would have to defend it from team two three four and five from from gaining the virtual flag and that would go on for for a day and then whoever has the most flags and whoever does the best in the defense and the offense would eventually be crowned the champion. Um, we're going to do the same thing over over on the individual side. So the the final competition is going to be uh, in December December 10th through the 12th and it'll be a championship round. And it'll be all hosted here in in Arlington.
1: All right. Very cool. All of it, is, it sounds great. Now, if I'm an agency person and I feel like I'm pretty, I pretty, feel pretty good about this and I'm going, OK, now I'm competing against, you know, DOD folks or even military folks who, who kind of live and breathe this. Are you having certain levels like, hey, novice, advanced, you know, expert or everyone gets into one bucket and you just kind of do the best you can?
0: Yeah. So for this first year, if there is no silver, gold, or, or platinum uh, challenges. It's it's just winner take all. So we're we're hoping to identify really uh, talent out there that that can go up against some of the nation's best. So we're sure that there's uh, some great technical talent out there, and that's what we're trying to do is is try to identify it. So it'll uh, give people that uh, may not have a chance to to show their their skills on a daily basis against. Some of the best in, in the nation, so it's going to be a one one size fit, fits all competition.
1: This is not just for the people who are you know get their hands dirty in, in, in the bits and the bites, but there's a role for everyone on these teams. I think that's an important message.
0: It is so you know it, it's not going to do do you any good if you, if you have a team of of five people that do uh, digital forensics, right? Because when they come up against a policy question or, or some other type of question or a cross-site scripting overflow that, or cross-site scripting that they might need to execute. They might not have the expertise. So in in my opinion, the, the best team would be a, a couple individuals that have expertise in, in all of the nice framework. So when whatever question comes up, they'll be, be able to turn to one of their team members and say, hey, why don't you tackle this question and and we'll work on these. One thing that I, I want to uh, talk about Jason if I can is is the timeline we're we're on a short timeline executive order it was uh thirteen eight seventy established this and it, and it came out in May and um, we've been working uh, tirelessly to uh, uh, make this a possibility and happen and the executive order said we have to have the competition complete by the end of the year. So registration actually starts September sixteenth and it runs through the twenty seventh The competition actually starts september twenty third so you'll be able to register uh, during the during the competition. So the first teams round competition is September 23rd through September 30th, uh, and, but registration runs September 16th through the 27th. And uh, we're trying to really get the word out and get people to uh, to register. And I know it's it's a short timeline, but the uh, first competition is going to happen in September. Then the second competition is going to happen in late October, and then the, for for the teams. Uh, for the individuals the it it's a little we have a little bit more time the individuals the competition's gonna start october seventh and run through the fourteenth and the second round is gonna be November fourth through the thirteenth but the culmination's gonna all be in december so december tenth through twelfth and uh what we did is um we we did base this on on some other uh competitions out there and with 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 the rounds so we're not just having one round and and finding the the best team so we're giving uh in, individuals and and teams the the opportunity to, to learn from the first competition and then to improve in the second competition and then show up in the finals. And we're hoping to, uh, when we have the finals here in Arlington, uh, we'll have a, a leaderboard so um, people will be able to watch, watch their teams. We're also looking at some various opportunities uh, using Twitch or some other live media that we can uh, to show um, the competition in, in real time and, and show that, uh, these individuals and show off their skills and, and who
1: they are. Do agencies or CIOs or or other managers, should they give their... Employees the time to do this is this done on their own time on the weekends? How does CISA envision this happening for the federal employees and the the military service members?
0: We did make it eight, eight hours for for a reason. We can't mandate that agencies uh, allow their employees and, and teams to do it during the the workday, but we think it it can it's a it's a great opportunity and can go along uh, as part of uh, annual training that, that uh, individuals have to have to do during the year, and uh, it can. Go during uh, eight-hour workday. People that work for me and, and work under my division, I'm, I'm going to allow them and, and schedule it around uh, their their other uh, commitments to give them eight eight hours during one of the workdays to do it. But it's not mandatory, and it's something every individual agency and and manager is going to have to tackle. But that is one of the reasons that we we uh, provided it to be eight hours, so it could fit into into a workday. The competition will be open 24 by 7 during the uh, listed uh, hours. So if you go to uh, CISA.gov slash President's Cup. There's a lot of information there that uh, you, you can find out about uh, the different rounds, uh, but we're, we're encouraging, and I'm, I'm hoping people can do it during the workday.
1: One thing occurs to me, Rob, you're going to let your own folks do this, so the people uh, in CISA are going to be part of the competition, you're not going to recuse them?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the only people that are recused are, are Harry Mortos and, and myself uh, from, from CISA. Uh, Harry and I have been actually uh, detailed out for the past two months, maybe maybe longer, out of the organization. So we don't have day-to-day contact with uh, the normal folks that we, we do at CISA, and, and we've been working uh, 100% on, on this competition and some other special tasks. So we've been set aside. We, we keep getting asked questions from people, co-workers within CISA, and we're like, um, you're going to have to wait till the uh, webpage comes out and, and the information comes out just as any other federal employee does. So um, we've kind of stepped stepped away and and recused ourselves from the competition.
1: All right. Good to hear people probably were a little worried that maybe you'd have an inside track. So it's good to see that you guys aren't, you know, aren't taking advantage of the inside track. Yes. Excellent.
0: (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah.
1: We have to take a break. My guest is Rob Karras, the Deputy Director for Vulnerability Management at the Homeland Security Department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. He's talking about the new President's Cup cybersecurity competition. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Rob Karras, the Deputy Director for Vulnerability Management at the Homeland Security Department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. He's talking about the new President's Cup cybersecurity competition. Did you borrow beg, deal from another competition? You know, I did something about the National Collegiate Cyber Championship where, where they had a multiple uh, series of, of competitions that led to a, a national championship over at the University of Virginia. D- are you borrowing from that or other similar uh, competitions?
0: Harry Mortos, who's, who's been the backbone of this, has worked with an interagency inter- uh, working group and um has worked with Department of Energy, has worked with darPA and worked worked with many many different agencies to uh come up with with this competition and and we've leveraged what's done out at the national college competitions some at the high school competitions and some at the black hat and defcon uh competitions so we've taken the best of that and and put together what we could in 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 this time frame and uh leveraged that and uh the jeopardy style board and presentation. Is, is a, is a tried-and-true uh, method where, where people uh, answer questions or, or answer um, different scenarios and are presented with different challenges. And uh, we're working really hard on this final competition where it's the escape room. I don't know anywhere that the escape room has been done before, and uh, I think it's going to be a surprise to all the competitors, and uh, we're really looking forward to that in the fall.
1: It's a fascinating concept. I've even seen some RFPs or, or at least solicitations of interest on FedBizOps looking for a cyber escape room. I think it's one of those things that's, it's a growing recognition that there's a lot of value in quote-unquote, locking people in a room and say, okay, escape using your skills from, from a cybersecurity standpoint. That, to me, seems the funnest, if you will, piece of the competition. But it's nice that, that you guys also are, are doing things where it's remote first and then bringing people into Arlington. Talk through how you decided to set up the competition because there's probably 101 different directions you could have went
0: that was determined by the uh the short time frame we had and and we wanted to make sure that everybody was was able to compete. So our first first thought was any any federal employee that that wants to register should be able to register and should be able to compete. So how do we make that happen? And uh we couldn't logistically fly everybody into the national capital region, so we said, "Well, we need to host this uh up on the cloud or or on the internet and and make the uh first round and and second round um, Internet-enabled, so uh, whether people are traveling or, or they're at home or they're, they're across the, the country that they're, they're able to compete, and they're able to compete on the same level. For the finals, we thought it'd be special to just to, just to recognize the the people that that qualified for the finals to to bring them into Arlington in, into our work area and celebrate just celebrate the winners, but also just celebrate that hey these are the the elite people that that actually made the finals, so they get to actually meet each other. After afterwards, they'll be able to exchange ideas and uh, uh, there'll be uh, some some good cross-building uh, across the federal government.
1: What's the longer term goal for this competition? I mean, it's nice to recognize people and nice to say, hey, I did this or this team did that. But what do you hope that this really generates or creates in, in over the next, you know, year, two, three, five years?
0: We're we're really hoping to uh first recognize the top talent, but also recognize and and have challenges in, and show that cybersecurity is everywhere. So I, I see I, I think as, as this competition grows, you'll see that it's just not for the elite hacker or the extremely technical, but the challenge is going to going to be grown to everybody, and and just to raise raise awareness across the federal government in in a, in a good and, and safe way to um, identify people that may not be in the cybersecurity role but want to get into the cybersecurity role or or learn learn more about it, and then also venture out to to younger people that are, are thinking about uh, possibly having a a career in in cybersecurity or a career in the federal government, and show them. Hey, that there's a path and that, that the government is, is doing some uh, cutting edge things to lure people and to, to identify people, not, not just in the federal government, but, but across the country that can tackle the uh, cybersecurity uh, shortage and need
1: that we have. And to be clear, this is just open for federal employees, no contractors.
0: Yeah, it's open just for federal employees to include the um, uh, DOD and uniform services. So um, all individuals in the federal executive branch, DOD, and uniformed services can compete, but this year, uh, contractors cannot compete.
1: And finally, Rob, this is, again, I really appreciate your time, great competition. How does this President's Cup Challenge fit into the broader view that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is working toward to improve federal networks, federal cybersecurity?
0: This works in, into that, so everybody can see CISA as as the conduit that brings everybody together. So when when you think of cybersecurity, everybody has their own mission and has to execute it, but everybody needs expert help and and to go somewhere to to get that expert help, and uh, CISA SISA is here. So all the agencies have fantastic uh, cybersecurity programs, but CISA we're leading the way for the federal government and we're setting uh, the the uh, the standard for for people to. Uh, to follow. Um, and we want people to know that we're here and uh, things like this competition brings all the agencies together. So we start collaborating and, and uh, there's no, no stovepipes. Uh, the more information we can share and the more that uh, people can build relationships, uh, the, the stronger government and the stronger uh, security that we're going to have as a nation.
1: Rob, I really appreciate your time today. <laughs> Rob Karras is the Deputy Director of Vulnerability Management at the Homeland Security Department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Rob, thank you so much for the time.
0: Thank you, Jason. Have a great day.
1: We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this segment of the show, we hear from Guy Cavallo, the deputy CIO at the Small Business Administration, who spoke at the recent ATARC Cloud Summit.
2: We started our cloud effort looking for APRAC as the the main reason. Like I said, once we saw the cybersecurity capabilities, that actually zoomed past where we are. Uh, SBA is much smaller than DOD. I have a staff of about 55 federal employees. That's counting help desk techs, everything. I do not have 55 cloud experts, I can tell you that. Um, So trying to find the right way to go forward uh, I want to give credit where, where it's done. Again, we, we, because we're small, we don't have time to create everything on our own. So Department of Agriculture's uh, Cloud Center of Excellence has a fabulous methodology out on how to determine what you should do. You have AppX. Should you do one of four things with it? Turn it off, keep it where it is, but just keep it going? Should you do infrastructure as a service and move it to the cloud, or should you rewrite it? So uh, I told my team, uh, make sure we put a footnote that we're crediting Department of Agriculture in this, but it's gonna be here's SBA's app rationalization process. So we're starting that now. We have maybe 50 some odd applications that we're gonna go through that. Uh, I stopped my team who was on the strategy of, we're gonna look at, we're gonna pick one app and then we're gonna sit down and put our heads together. I'm like, no, here's a process. I want it documented, uh, and we didn't invent it. We don't have time to invent it. They already did a great job, so let's just reuse it. So we're in the process of, of doing that. Uh, my advice to everybody is there's so much to do wherever you can beg, borrow, or 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 reuse something that somebody else has had time to be ahead of you on, then go ahead and work with that agency. I know. We've had over 800 federal employees come in and see our monthly cloud demo, which in the first year and a half ago, we were showing how we stood up our cloud and got it an ATO in 82 days. And everybody was like, wow, how'd you do that? So we went through the funding, and, and that's also with no money in our budget and no cloud certifications on staff. So that was our story a year and a half ago. To Marie and me, that's like in our teenage years. That's a long time ago. Uh, then as we turned on the cybersecurity tools, we went, wow, this is, this is really something, and, and went in that direction. So uh, you, know, you have to take the gambles. Uh, we've tried some things, and we failed. But again, and, and we still have employees that when we try something that fails, they duck, uh, saying, you know, previous CIOs took our heads off for this, and Marie and I are giving them cash awards for, for trying it. You have to change that culture. This is moving so fast. I nobody that got a college degree a year ago could have gotten trained in the cyber tools that I've turned on today. I mean, we're turning them on every day and it's new. So, you know, you have to be flexible and adjust. We still have auditors. I said, now I'm at a point where I'm going, give me data calls, I'm ready for them. I can actually do a data call in probably less than five clicks. And and again, if you can't do that today, whatever tools you're using are failing you. You should welcome a data call. When we all got asked a few months ago by DHS, are you running Kapersky in your environment? Three clicks, we had two instances. One was a contractor, and one was a guest person on our network. So, I mean, it was literally that fast. We could not do that. And that wasn't from the TCDM on-prem program, it was from our cloud version of it. If you don't have that access to your data, you can't be secure. So be willing to make those risks, borrow from other people, and everyone I've talked to that's jumped to the cloud, the hardest thing wasn't security, Uh, definitely staff training is is an issue, but connecting your cloud through a fast pipe to your network, if you can do that in less than six months, you're lucky. Everyone I've talked to says it's a nightmare and for us at sba we started with a credit card purchase and it took six months where we tried to get one of the large global telecom uh, providers to the federal government have one person who could actually connect to our vendor and work together but when that person's on vacation for a month they couldn't do anything so you have to allow this into your schedule but you challenge it and you push i said we did the cdm pilot with dhs because we said We want to meet the intent of the CDM program, but we don't want to use the on-premise tools to do it. You have to be willing to challenge that. Uh, So we've actually slowed down on our app rationalizations because of these other things. We looked at the TIC program, and one of the things I did, I asked my CISO, how many calls do you get from DHS of something being warned to us that they saw through the TIC? And they said, maybe once or twice a year we get a call. So I said, so it's really not that effective. So again, we, we pushed with uh, uh, OMB and DHS and GSA, pick six agencies for us to experiment with doing the function of the TIC, not the way it's done. Um, fast forward, they rewrote the TIC policy. This isn't TIC one, two, three, or four. This is look at the rewritten tick memo, and they say that an agency can come up with a use case to get an exception, Well, our cloud monitoring is one of the two approved use cases for the exception. Uh, I can look at my network, and again, for the first time in my career, know what's going on. We saw Xfinity television, now we have guest Wi-Fi network, so there's a lot of guests there, was my number three network consumption. Not, Not Xfinity email, but Xfinity video. It's not part of SBA's function, we turned it off. Hulu started to climb up our list, we turned it off, and while I was there, I said, let's turn off Netflix too. So again, that visibility is something we didn't have before, and, and so you know challenge it, and like I said we found DHS has been a great partner uh, to help push the envelope on this, and we're hoping that we're reshaping federal policy like we did with the TIC memo. I'm hoping we do the same with CDM.
1: I caught up with Guy Cavallo, the deputy CIO at SBA, after his panel discussion to find out more about his application rationalization efforts. App rationalization, obviously, big in cloud smart. Uh, there's a new playbook out. Talk a little about SBA's approach and how you guys are approaching this idea of which applications need to move to the cloud, which maybe don't need to move to the cloud, and which are most
2: uh, the highest priorities. When we first built the cloud, the plan was that we would uh, do some infrastructure as a service quick hops to get off a of failing hardware, and then we really hadn't worked out the roadmap from that point on. Should we move this to the cloud? Should we rewrite it? Uh, so what we found is that we did really have a strategy to do that. And we, working through the Federal CIO Council, found out the Department of Agriculture's Cloud Center of Excellence had a methodology all laid out that allowed you to determine and rate each application. So instead of us Doing them one at a time and just sitting around trying to think the best way to do it. Uh, What we're going through now is every application that we have and we're rationalizing it and we're going through this methodology to determine should we keep it on prem and just upgrade it? Should we turn it off because it's just not worth it? Or should we rewrite it or move move it to the cloud and modernize it? So I think. It's easy for agencies to spend a lot of money looking at one app at a time. What we wanted to do was look at all of our apps and then fill out that grid so that we knew exactly how many things are we going to rewrite, and then that way I can write a contract that covers all of them instead of doing one at a time.
1: Now, you're borrowing, you mentioned uh, during the HR Cloud Summit, that you're borrowing uh,
2: the the process maybe from the Agriculture Department. Talk Mm -hmm. through that process a little bit. Uh, sure. They have put together a playbook and a methodology on how to look at your apps and uh, go through a variety of questions, which we thought were really well uh, developed and thought out. And then each of the questions ends up giving you points, and then you end up at it with an end score, and that puts you in which of those four quadrants should that app go. Now, political reasons or cultural reasons, there might be some reasons that you say, okay, even though this is supposed to be moved as infrastructure as a service, due to what we know is coming through changes in congr- congressional laws and directions, we better rewrite it. So it, it at least gives you the roadmap, which you then can follow up with those additional business reasons and make other choices. But at least it puts a stake in the ground on, this application is so bad, it's gonna take us multimillion dollars. Let's keep it on-prem, but let's just make sure that it's at least current and cybersecurity protected. How many apps, roughly, are you looking at? I think you mentioned more than 50. Yeah, we're between 50 and 60. Uh, I think the exact number is 57 off the top of my head, but I I think one of those is our network, which really isn't an app until we fully get into SD-WAN. But, yeah, it's in that that range, and, and we were headed down a path of approaching them one at a time, and I wanted that global view first.
1: First of all, I guess the question is, do you have that global view, or are you still in the middle of it? When do you you hope to have that global view, and then what's the kind of next steps from there?
2: We just started that analysis. I'm hoping by the time we get into the end of the fiscal year, we'll have that map of what are the recommendations for each of the systems. And then from there, we can look at our contracts and our funding for FY20 and see which ones do we want to attack first. Now,
1: this is important for several reasons. First of all, modernization efforts, but even more importantly, as you guys are now moving toward it, you mentioned in there, uh, software-defined WAN, which is something that a lot of agencies are, I think are interested in, but not quite there. Does this all play into this broader modernization strategy that you have to do the application rationalization, and then you can kind of build on top of that?
2: Definitely. We, uh, I'm shocked at the amount of downtime I'm seeing from, uh, we have 120 offices spread across the country and there's not a day that goes by that at least one of them is not disconnected for part of the time. I felt like I had better connectivity in the eighties. I'm not sure what happened. So our current network infrastructure uh, needs to be blown up and, and, and we are gonna go to software-defined networking and uh, distribute the single points of failure to each office. Instead of right now, I have about uh, six or seven single points of failure that if those go down, take down many states and that's just not acceptable today.
1: What kind of steps you need to do to go toward that SD-WAN setup? you have to figure out where everyone is today, and then and then what?
2: What we looked at is we're in multiple clouds, but we're using one of the clouds as our main cybersecurity hub. So we wanted to see what's the best way to connect these remote offices so that they have that cybersecurity umbrella over them. And uh, the industry has made rapid changes in just the last six months. Uh, so we've already changed direction uh, from where we were in March because of a new change. Uh, so hopefully will be done before the next major chain comes. But like I said, really looking at your network traffic, where it's routed, by being able to use our own tick with our with our use case exception to the DHS tick, that again changes my my networking environment. So instead of bringing all of our nationwide traffic back to Ashburn before it goes back out anywhere else, now I'm able with uh, as we implement SD-WAN, we'll have our TIC at each location using the same cloud cyber tools. So performance latency is going to be tremendously reduced, and I'll still have that visibility
1: and that visibility is something that's just you celebrate in many ways you mentioned you could see that there has been an uptick in bandwidth around things like Hulu or Xfinity television you're able to turn it off discuss how you got that type of visibility and the difference it's making in that everyday cybersecurity you mentioned as well as uh, you know first time you can tell an auditor exactly how many PCs you have on your network which is huge because if you don't know what you have you can't protect it
2: yeah i think the the breakthrough is that while everybody's been looking for the golden fleece of one tool that will magically give you the this exact number, well, the tool will give you its number, but as soon as the auditors use a different tool, they'll have a different number and you're already in a finding there. What what we decided to use was five different tools that do inventory and mash them all together in big data in the cloud, not on-prem, no relation, relational database, just uh, one place to collect it, look for commonalities and come out with a, a standard model. So that, we believe that's the best approach because I'm feeding firewall data that's how I'm seeing the network traffic anything that goes through one of our firewalls uh, so it's not just the standard inventory of PCs and tablets and phones and then you've got your separate inventory of routers and switches by bringing all the firewall data in and the anti-virus uh, and other security tools all in that commonplace we now have that one global look but you can't do it without getting your firewall data too so standard deployment tools that just look at hardware inventory aren't going to give you that.
1: This is all part of this effort you've been ongoing for the last year and a half or two years around continuous diagnostics mitigation and, and putting it kind of taking a different tact. Uh, you mentioned
2: that the pilot's done which is good news. Uh, the next step is you're writing a report. Do you have a timing on that? We have a team from DHS and my staff writing together. It's a uh, It's interesting, not only did we collaborate on the technology side, but we're co-writing the report, which uh, I'm curious because Murray and I haven't jumped into it yet to see, but uh, the teams work very well together. And um, it's really, to me, that the key is do we meet the objectives of CDM using what we're doing because we're not feeding the federal dashboard, the Archer dashboard, with the cloud tools but with DHS just awarding a new contract to do a new dashboard, that's one of our pushbacks is we will help them determine how to get data from multiple clouds into their new dashboard vendor instead of trying to feed the one that was written for on-premise. So I know that we have holes and what we've done as far as that federal dashboard feed. But again, the cybersecurity protections that we're seeing and we're using every day to protect SBA are well worth it.
1: The other piece of this is I know people will be interested in the report. Hopefully you'll be able to make at least some of it public. But you've also had a, a, hundreds of people come from across the government to look at your, your, your efforts. Th- that's really part of this is, is, un- is sharing the impact or, or the the. The new thinking. Talk a little bit about what the reaction's been from other agencies.
2: We're happy to share, and we don't have all the answers. Just like earlier I highlighted that we we're very happy to work with the Department of Agriculture and use what they develop for the app rationalization instead of doing it ourselves. So I think it's important the agencies share with each other. The reaction has been, how do you do it? I want to do it, but my CIO is not a cloud lover, so they're not going to do it. And in that case, we tell them, don't even try. As I mentioned earlier, Marie and I have put our jobs on the line for the cloud in a disaster situation uh, because we believed in the power of the cloud. Luckily, we succeeded. But if you don't have a CIO that's willing to do that because things will go wrong, there will be problems. You'll have somebody will turn on a server with a massive amount of processors on it, and you'll get your first cloud bill and it'll knock your socks off because you didn't control who could act, act, actually turn on devices. So there's going to be many stumbles along the way. And if you don't have leadership, that's willing to say, okay, we learned, now we're going to add this process or we're going to change something. There'll be many, many reasons for you to turn back from the cloud.
1: And really that's why, just to tack back to the beginning of our conversation, why the app rationalization is so important so you can control those costs so you don't have all these redundancies and then also by by coming down to one set of standards you can also secure it. I think that, that, that all kind of fits together.
2: Uh, Absolutely. What we've implemented right now we have four different clouds that I'm monitoring from one centralized cloud repository. I get alerts from another cloud if somebody logged in and made a mistake without having to go to that specific log, uh, That the logs of that specific vendor. What we looked at is each cloud does have great security tools, but again, it's a silo. It's just like where we started with on-prem and multiple data centers. We wanted to have that one central pane of glass that everybody's trying to sell the federal government, but well, we, we believe we have it at SBA, where we're pulling in all clouds, all on-prem equipment, one dashboard, uh, even from mobile phones, everything alerts the same way, so that we know where, where we are and where our attacks are coming from.
1: We have to take a break. You just hear from Guy Cavallo, the deputy CIO at SBA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this last segment of the show, I caught up with Jason Martin, the Defense Information System Agency's Vice Director of Development and Business Center. I caught up with Martin after he spoke at the recent FCW Cloud Summit. ZT is obviously a hot topic. You mentioned some of the pilots and use cases. I know there's some sensitivities there, but are you able to at least offer a little bit more about where you're at? Is it just beginning stages or any kind of timing around when you think maybe you can go more public with what those use cases were and some of the results?
3: Yes, we're in the process right now of building out our lab space at DISA in conjunction with our IC and Cyber Command partners to build out three fundamental components of it, which include, I look at this three different ways. I characterize it three different ways, I would say. Zero Trust is the architecture or framework that we are building out for overall uh, continued access and authentication mechanisms across the network at all layers of the network. To do that, you obviously have to have a foundational ICAM or identity solution, credentialing, access authorizations, et cetera. So we're building that out additionally in that same lab, leveraging existing capabilities while in turn building out things like uh, master user records, automated provisioning, things like that, that we will set with policy and then push out using our third component, which is SDE, or a Global Policy Orchestrator. So in the process of building out all three of those things in our lab with our partners to push that out with various use cases across the department.
1: So the lab is just that first step, and then once the lab is in a place you're comfortable, then you'll put them into motion, whether or not they're proof of concept to test, maybe not full-board production.
3: Absolutely. They will inform what we actually do need to build out, integrate, and configure. And as we look at what we already have in its base, continue to use it, push it out for additional use cases, simply consuming enterprise data will be a big step for the department across the board. We've been working for years across the department to do that. This will give us an additional set of capabilities to further integrate those solutions across the department.
1: One thing about ZTE, just generally speaking, is it's not a technology it's a framework. So a lot of the stuff you guys are already using potentially could fit under that framework of of zero trust. Is that what you're finding or are you actually having to look for or build new capabilities?
3: You're absolutely right. So it's, it's rethinking how we do continuous security. So it's both, I would say. It's leveraging the capabilities that we've brought to bear for years It's working with our partners across the DOD and the IC to say, here's the lessons learned. Here's how we're doing things on certain fabrics. Can we now apply it here? Can we apply it closer down to the endpoint? Can we apply it across the network? And what really are the use cases? And as we find those and, and identify those, we then build out a new set of capabilities, which either leverages existing capabilities and or integrating new capabilities in a new way that we hadn't previously done.
1: I talked to Steve Hernandez from the CISO Council, he mentioned that NIST is also working on around some proof of concepts. Are you having some conversations with the CIO Council, the CISO Council,
3: NIST yet, or is it maybe too early? I would say it's too early right now specifically for that, for that council, but what we do do is participate with NIST, obviously within the DOD, and we're starting to engage our other federal partners to learn what they're doing, what the art of the possible is, and specifically looking at what capabilities exist today across the board. So we're open to any and every idea, use case, et cetera.
1: Martin was then asked by a reporter about whether DIS is looking at any procurement approaches, including the use of other transaction authorities, to test out the zero-trust architecture
3: approaches. Well, I would say it'll be a mixture of both. As we look at how to use the technology different, how to apply policies and principles differently, we may be able to leverage what we have. We may have to build out new. We may have to configure things differently. So I would think that there will be opportunities for anything and everything you talked about.
1: Then a reporter asked if there was an existing program DISA could use to implement ZTE and whether the funding exists
3: today. Not at this specific time. We're working um, together within, like I said, the DOD and the IC to, to identify those opportunities as we receive funding over the next couple months. Absolutely. We will look at what contracts are necessary and what capabilities are necessary to further build out those capabilities in support of additional use cases. So we're in the process of working through reprogramming now. And then, yes, we have identified funding in the out year. Can
1: can you talk a little bit about the mobility stuff you you mentioned? You said there's maybe some pilots around secret, top secret tablets. We all remember the wonderful thing called the SME pad. I had had that memory (laughs) recently. Can you kind of, obviously, you're not looking to build that again, but what's the tablet pilot looking like? How does it relate to, for instance, like the Knox platform? that you guys have used and other ways to harden some of the cell phones and smartphones?
3: Yeah, this is really cool what we've been able to do. So we've been able to work um, in conjunction with industry and within the DOD to lock down mobile tablets, laptops, et cetera, to be able to provide that classified experience, uh, you know, in in, um, contained quarters, obviously. But we're working now. We've rolled out a pilot with um, some very um, critical uh, mission sets and it really does provide a full classified experience that you would expect to see in your office and it's very contained you know with with headsets etc to be able to do that perform that work to, as you would in, in your office
1: there's a uh big push to get more mobile. You mentioned that as as, as a workforce issue as well. Can you talk a little bit more about the pilot? Maybe just like, is it it a six-month pilot? Is it a proof of concept? Is it being used by a hundred people, a thousand people? Give me a sense.
3: Right. So we've rolled it out to a hundred folks. And right now what we're doing through is working through the planning process to be able to budget and expand this out as a capability. So as we continue to receive and review requirements, we look at the funding available to build them out. And then we identify that funding source and push it up to ensure that we can do that or not depending on demand.
1: Is this something that someone's asking for, meaning like it's a capability that you hear from executives and others saying, hey, I've got to get a better access to my data or better access to be able to do this work outside of the, the perimeter?
3: Yes, absolutely. People are asking. Commanders, senior executives, senior leadership, operators in the field, you name it, they're asking for it. They've got to be able to have the ability to access relevant, on-time, real-time data when needed. And we are fully committed to providing those capabilities.
1: Because previously their only way to do that was through some kind of hardened desktop back at a base, an office, or if you're in theater even, some sort of command post, is, is that? do I have that right?
3: Exactly, and that's exactly what we're doing, is bringing it truly, this is one of the, the real capabilities that we are trying to bring to the edge, a capability that folks have been asking for at the enterprise level, enterprise capability, resiliency, redundancy, all those important things to be able to have access to that data when needed. So we've rolled out these capabilities across the NipperNet already. So this is evolving it into CIPR, mm-hmm and TS in support of those fabrics.
1: Talking back to Zero Trust, is there a big interest from some
3: of the services asking DISA for, hey, how are you guys doing it? What are you seeing help us move forward with it? Well, thus far, it's been a very collaborative effort. We've had specific conversations with nearly all the big services at various parts of the service to look at what they're doing today what we're doing to make sure that we do a joint effort, what kind of policies um, do we consider, what capabilities that we're looking at, and we're also consuming that from them as well. So it's very open sharing of information. Um, We participate in the Zero Trust Council. Uh, We have weekly meetings with our counterparts across the board to to lay out what the other possible is, where we need to go, and how we're gonna get there.
1: That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Jason Martin, the Defense Information System Agency's Vice Director of the Development and Business Center. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.